0: We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey, now. Oh, boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did.
1: <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the other way?
0: When are these days? Are we having fun yet? It's going to be
1: legend. Wait for it.
2: Now, you might very well think that,
0: but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Hellens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much.
2: Good evening.
3: Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sundance States TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined as ever by, I'm saying it again, bringing it back, Mr. Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Well,
1: if you're going to bring it back, I will too. I've been worse.
3: <laughs> um you're back in you're back up in uh, sunny montreal is it sunny it's right it's sunny
1: sunny ish it's cold as hell or it was earlier
3: um after your your week sojourn roughly to chicago and how was your trip
1: uh well chicago's a very cool town and <laughs> you're a pretty awesome host so i had a great time
3: racking out checking out the museums all that good stuff it was it was fun you had to come back down if only to eat your shampoo
1: and I had a couple hours walk in Detroit, which everyone was surprised discovered did not kill me.
3: <laughs> good times, good times. Um, we have a, an awesome DVD shelf coming at the end of the show this week.
1: Mm-hmm. Mega, mega shelf, closet, vestibule. <laughs>
3: we we uh we had both of the guys from previously on David Bax and Sean Ingram on to talk deadwood with us. This is one that we were planning to use um during those doldrums in in uh January or early January, but then due to some scheduling things, um we couldn't use it then and we've been kind of waiting for a a lighter week to to bust it out. So this we've decided this is the week. This is a little yeah. bit lighter than normal, so we're going to try to go through the rest of the shows a little quicker just because it's it's like almost an hour long to, nice mm-hmm. it's solid topic
1: it's it's on not Denver. as long as it deserves but it's longer than we've given everything else
3: yeah pretty much um so quickly some some comments uh from you guys over the past week um we heard from keith Uh, Who's noticing that he's been skipping over more of the shows that we talk about, uh, you know, fast forwarding through the show. Um, And uh, because apparently our our tastes don't overlap the way that they were at the the beginning of the year, I guess. You know, we have a few less procedurals and some other shows he doesn't watch, um, but he still likes the DVD shelf, so... Thank you, Keith, for sticking with us, and hopefully it'll start realigning a little bit more once you know the, some of the bigger shows come back in. Mm-hmm. If you have other shows you want us to watch that, like, that you think we should check out, uh, like, drop us a line, let us know, and we'll give it the old college try. I can't promise that we're going to like it or that we're going to cover it every week, but if you want mm-hmm. us to check it out, I will do that. You know, I gave person of interest way more of a chance than I would have if you guys hadn't, you know, said that you liked it. So I kept checking it out a bit more. So, you know, let us know if there's something you think we should be covering. And uh, then we ha- heard from the Wanderer, Kansas, on Twitter, who was pretty, uh, and um, sorry, I should say, on, on Current, who was pretty psyched for Faulty Towers. So clearly a person of distinction and fine taste. Um, then on Twitter, Ken gave us some great suggestions for Chicago tourism. We didn't get to the pyramid. But it looks pretty cool mm-hmm. on Google Maps. So maybe next next time. Um, and we talked to some fringe. Josh is stoked for Awake. And we have our amazing race pool. Dan is currently in the lead. Surprise. Second place goes to Adam. Um, but it's still neck and neck. And you're joining in this week. Mario's joining in this week. Kristen's joining in this week. So we're going to be up to, I think, seven at that point. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you guys are interested, send me a tweet or an email or something. Um, Theteleverse at gmail.com and we can get you in on this pool. It's not for money. It's just for bragging rights. But I think it's going to be pretty mm-hmm. fun. But um,
1: I, I will have a separate pool within the pool for money if anyone's interested. <laughs> not really. Um, but I, I do want to mention for anyone who's not totally happy with the show choice um, on the show. I am thinking of adding another show next week that we're not currently covering, but I'm not going to tell you what it is yet because that would be telling. Mm.
3: It's a tease. Um, and then finally, uh, my list this week at, over at 7 is going to be, in honor of Leaf Day, it's going to be the best time travel episodes, so I threw that out to Twitter, and I got a lot a lot of great suggestions, a lot of, of uh, ones that I actually already had set for my list, so I guess uh, we're on the same sort of wavelength with that, which is kind of cool. Um, but I, I was going to try to do episodes where people got the day over, got like an extra day, but I had trouble coming up with enough, you know, enough shows. There's there's that great Angel episode. There's a Smallville episode like that. There's a Charmed episode like that. But can you think of any, you know, any shows that where people got a day back or an extra day
4: Mm,
1: no, honestly, I'm trying to think of television, and I just keep thinking of Groundhog Day. because
3: <laughs> Well, Groundhog and then there's time amazing. loops. You know, I was going to do time loops for Groundhog's Day, but ended up uh, instead doing Valentine's Day this year. So anyway, so this week my article will be time travel episodes. It's going to be up on Sana's site tomorrow, and you can check it out there. And there's lots of other stuff going on there. I think we're done with the Oscar talk, though.
1: Uh, just about. I think um, Zornitsa uh, put up her article, and I think that's going to be it.
3: Yeah. So um, we're not actually covering the Oscars this week. Do do you care? I don't care.
1: I I watched a bunch of it. It was boring. As soon as I realized I wasn't winning any money, I went home.
3: Yeah. I, I caught Jim Rash's awesome Angelina Jolie mocking moment, which was pretty great. But other than that, I don't really care about the Oscars, this year at least. Um, so anyways, let's go into the, the week in TV. I'm going to start off by just blasting through the shows that I watched and you didn't. Um, and so we're, we'll start with Cougar Town, A Mind with a Heart of Its Own. Um, this was another cute episode. I liked the zip line. Uh, Bobby installed a zip line as a wedding present to Jules and Grayson, and that was pretty great. I like the comb maid of honor thing as well. It makes sense. And... And I like that the to- the tone of the show is is definitely steady, and they they know what they're doing. So it was it was a lot of fun again. Then Suburgatory, Fire with Fire. Um, I'm only mentioning this because I I really liked what they they did with Lisa and Malik. There's a little forward movement there, but it's also Definitely something that seems like it's going to be back burner, and that seems like the right the right move. Dahlia does get one of the best put-downs of the series, so I think it was about a, a little above average. Then we had An Idiot Abroad, Route 66, which I think is my favorite episode of the series so far. It was just hilarious. Carl does America. Um, so he pans for gold, he does glee, he meets a bunch of hippies. Um, and he wing walks. It's, it's, it's a hilarious. So if you are on the fence about checking out an idiot abroad, seek out the route 66 episode because it's just hilarious.
1: I think I've actually seen this episode, uh, some time ago it aired on something or other here in Canada. Is this the one that features, uh, he goes to like, um, sort of a sex colony or something oh, a
3: cuddle party at a cuddle a hip- party. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That yeah. I remember being quite memorable.
3: Yeah, he doesn't really want hugs from anyone cuz as as Ricky and Steven say he's a miserable bastard. So, um oh I and I don't
1: think you need to be a miserable bastard to not want wanton hugs from strangers.
3: <laughs> Good time um next is arachnophobia from lost girl uh which is really lost girls really on a roll there right now they're doing the lost girl does fill in the blank so this was lost girl does paranoia and spiders and they did it particularly well uh you know it's very in tune with the rest of the show um they we got to see more of Hale, this um the dyson's partner in crime um and uh, it was nice to see him as an actual threat other than you know, instead of just being a siren with parlor tricks um and having the spider bury its heart was was pretty cool and and fun too so lost girl still kicking ass on mondays on sci-fi channel and then also the voice you didn't catch up because you're just tired of the auditions this i really am (laughs) this was a pretty I i thought a pretty good batch of people i'm actually pretty excited for the battle rounds to start next week and i there's a poor guy uh um, Novocaine is uh, what he goes by but is something like Michael Nova or something like that um, he was a total badass and really great singer and I was very surprised that nobody picked him particularly considering some of the people they did pick who didn't have anywhere near the range or, or breath support or even just tuning that, that he had so hopefully he'll try again next year because that guy deserves to be on the show at least he went out well, though. He went out with style, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, th- so that's the end of my rundown. Um, now we're going to switch over and do all of our sitcoms, or all of our comedies in a row. So we caught up this week with Key and Peele. What did you think?
1: Yeah, well, I've been hearing really strong things about this since it premiered, and I had a chance to catch up with it with you uh, while I was in Chicago. And I, I think it's been a really, really long time, at least that I can remember, since we've had a decent sketch comedy show, which is, I think, why pe- – I think that's one of the reasons why people are responding so strongly. I think, like, it, even most good sketch comedy is patchy as hell. And I think he and Peel is also quite patchy. I would say, so far, per episode, maybe half the sketches are funny. But that's a really good ratio, especially for people who are just starting out. I think they're they're both super charming guys. I, I I like how straightforward they are in the sense of, you know, there's a trade-off between sometimes they're doing sketches and sometimes they're just on stage, just sort of riffing. And there's something very uh, old-fashioned about it. They're, they're they just sort of they're they seem to be being themselves and having a good time and just sort of throwing out gags. And you know, like I said, some of them work, some of them don't. But there's something very unpretentious about the whole presentation that I really enjoy.
3: Yeah, I think, um, spotty is the right, is the right word. Uh, it's definitely some of the stuff really worked for me and then some of it, I, I didn't work at all. So I think the average is much better than we've had in quite a while. And I think it's uh, definitely, definitely a, a good show. It's just some of the humor just doesn't connect for me. So, uh, we'll see, you know how it continues but definitely I liked it a lot more than I expected to so that's good Mm
1: -hmm. and and you know it's if you think of a show like Mr. Show I mean I think that took at least a season to really find its footing and you're talking about you know David Cross and Bob Odenkirk who are both you know sometimes very very funny people and I think um, they're starting off with a with a pretty good hit-to-miss ratio for the kind of humor that they're attempting and I think um, and I'm glad to see it's resonating with people and that uh, Comedy Central seems to have a hit on its hands I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping that they can go from strength to strength and and really um, and I, I, I feel like they're not there yet but I feel like there's some real potential there
3: cool next we had New Girl Bully which uh, featured uh, Jess dealing with a bully at her school and Julia and Nick breaking up thoughts?
1: Uh, anything that that features horrible things happening to Zoe Edition I'm always happy about. Um, no, but seriously, I I think it was nice the way the episode sort of avoided the the path you figured it was going to take with you know with Jess having to uh, defend the honor of one kid. Instead, she basically just has to go after another, which was more fun.
3: Yeah, I uh, I, I liked the episode. Uh, I really liked what they were doing, what they are doing. That is with Schmidt and Cece, and anything that gets more cheese puns is is good by me. Um, but I, I'm disappointed that they broke up uh, Jess and Nick, uh, Julia and Nick. And I hope that they're not trying to set up Jess and Nick already. Um, I really think they're going to miss having having Lizzie Kaplan on the show. Uh, so yes, especially because it came out of nowhere.
1: But she's got other stuff to do.
3: Yeah, I as understand. We know. It's still bit, it still makes the show, it, it'll be not as interesting of a show, I think, but we'll see. I
1: totally agree.
3: Next, we have Happy Endings, the butterfly effect effect. Um, Jane and Brad have their spring smackdown. Max is a bear. Uh, that, that's about, about it. Any thoughts?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was really about it, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm sorry. Happy Endings. It was a fun time. It was a nice little fling, but I think it's over. It was, you know, there was some cute little laughs, but... It's just, the the style of humor is just not resonating for me lately.
3: Okay. Uh, I liked Max as a bear. I thought it was kind of hilarious. And I'm glad that they took a break from Grant, but I'm ready for him to come back next week. Alex as an idiot teenager was fun, um, yeah, and the... I was disappointed when the SmackDown actually came down because the idea of them having matured past doing the Spring smack- SmackDown was a nice idea, but uh, still, it was it was fun if not amazing. Um, next, we had Thirty Rock Leap Day.
1: Uh, yeah, which I think is probably the first time I've seen Thirty Rock succumb to community syndrome, which is apparently contagious. Um, wherein you know it was a very clever episode. Uh, you know, lots of in jokes, lots of interlocking puns lots of guest stars but to me none of it was very funny
3: yeah it, it was very meh for me um i'll be interested to see if people start wearing yellow and blue on leap day this this you know tomorrow that'll be funny um uh, i didn't care about the indecent proposal plot and i can't even remember most of what happened um but yeah it was it was it was pretty forgettable. So,
1: and that's saying something considering how hard they were trying.
3: Yeah, they really were. So it was
1: it was a very try hard half hour of television.
3: Unlike I would say Parks and Rec, Sweet Sixteen, um, and Jerry, poor Jerry, and his birthday.
1: Can can we just once again sing the praises of Aubrey Plaza? Yeah, because, she like
3: saved the episode. This was all her.
1: Uh, I wouldn't say save the episode, but she she's quite good. And uh, one of my least favorite tropes is people acting drunk badly um, I'm looking at you Dominic West um, and I think she she it's it's not necessarily an easy thing to do but she follows the maxim of uh, try to act sober and fail mm-hmm. which is to me the most effective way to, to be fake drunk and it's, this seems like a weird technical detail but it means a lot to me for some reason mm-hmm. uh, and she, I thought she, I thought she was great uh but otherwise, I thought it was a pretty you know it's pretty inconsequential episode, but I thought very- very funny through and through
3: um I thought that i mean like when i when I was watching it, I was enjoying it, but upon reflection the it just it took too long for Leslie to it was so much of the episode was the same beat of things are falling through the cracks, you can't do it all, and I felt like that's all Ron got to do. all episode was just sit there and say, Uh-huh, see' And Leslie, I don't know. the The main plot didn't really work for me. Uh, and also, Tom and Anne, I, I'm officially not on on board for that.
1: Ah, uh, I think uh, I, I think that they know people aren't on board.
3: Well, it'll be and interesting to I, see I, what they do. I think they're they having do. fun with it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I, I think they're. <laughs> Tom and Anne is like a bit of experimental theater they've thrown into a, a standard program. <laughs> And I, I think they're having fun messing with people. I I, I don't think it's going to be something, something that necessarily sticks around for ages, but uh, I think they're having fun with it. Unless I'm totally wrong, in which case I'm not sure how I feel about it. But right now I'm enjoying it.
3: And I will say I did very much enjoy Champion <laughs> this week.
1: Ah, oh, champion is awesome. Yeah, that
3: was great. Um, next we had Bloody Ferlin for Archer. Uh, basically it was an Archer Justified crossover. <laughs> what did you Which, think?
1: Haven't we been wishing for this for weeks? Yeah. Like, haven't we actually <laughs> said Raylan Givens needs to show up on Archer, or Archer somehow needs to show up on Justified? And it's like they they answered our prayers. Uh, this was awesome, as you might expect. At, at least I, I, I think we're going to be closer in opinion than we were. Uh, last week we once again get a scene of archer talking to uh, an animal which is great uh, we have ray not being paralyzed which i'm fine with i mean i think some, maybe maybe there are people who consider that a cop-out but i really didn't care i've heard some people complain about jack mcbrayer which i, I don't know that didn't really bother me but i i, I see the the argument then again we also had michael rooker who was awesome uh yeah i really i i can think of nothing to complain about this week
3: yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really liked it, and uh, I would also add, of course, Paula Malcolmson, who we're going to talk yes. about at the DVD shelf. She was Trixie in Deadwood, um, and so yeah, I really liked the voice cast this week. It was it, funny because I picked, I keyed in on uh, Jack McBrayer right away. Uh, it took me longer to figure out Michael Rooker, but I, I laughed my butt off this week. I had so much fun, and have the way that they handle Ray not being in a wheelchair was was great. It made so much mm-hmm. sense, and it was just. You know the I think it works because of the reaction we get from Archer and Lana. That's what makes it mm-hmm. not a problem. Uh I liked Lana's complete failure to keep Mallory in the dark and Cheryl being a total slut <laughs> and uh yeah it was it was just a lot of fun. I mean anytime you have Archer calling a chicken addressing a chicken as food, uh it's gonna be a good episode so yes i
1: I am eager for them to get into some of the more. Uh, so, so sort of more complicated stuff. You know, multi-part episodes and really start to get ambitious again. But hey, I can't complain because this was loads of fun.
3: Yeah. Then we had Eastbound and Down, uh, which is the fifteenth episode. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm going to test the hive mind. I well, you probably can guess, but I liked half of this episode and I thought half of it was terrible.
1: <laughs> That's actually you're you're pretty much in line with the internet hive mind right now. I actually really dug the hell out of this episode. Um, This is the week that, you know, you haven't seen the entire series, so I I should just explain. The the show has has broken with reality in the past. I wouldn't call it in any way a realistic show. But this week, they totally decide, you know, screw it. We're going to turn this into a total cartoon. And this was directed by David Gordon Green. And this, the end of the episode kind of shares some of the manic energy of parts of Pineapple Express and the sh- the show just goes ape and I had a I had a blast with it. I mean, the first half, I think we can agree was great with you know all the baby endangerment humor which I don't know, I personally is a straight path to laughter for me. Um but I know a lot of people had trouble with Will Ferrell and the strange racial humor and 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 all that stuff, but I don't know, I just I had a blast with some of the weirdest just some of the weirdest collections of visuals I've seen on, on a TV show in a long time.
3: I didn't have a problem with the racial humor. Uh, my problem was just Will Ferrell. And when I started trying trying the show out from the beginning, I was not very enthused. And then Will Ferrell showed up. And uh, it, that, was, that was the single thing, if I had to label one thing, that got me to not watch it and think the show was terrible. It was that. It was him. That character is not funny, and I don't understand why they think it is. Uh, so for me, that just bringing him back for any ridiculous, ridiculously long amount of time, like <laughs> like a scene, I would not be entertained. I would be rolling my eyes, but I would be fine with. But the fact that you know, and clearly that they think it's funny, and that's why they're doing it. But for me, anything that had Will F- like the same plot line but with a different performance or a different character than the whatever the his name is I don't even remember the character's name um I think I would have been fine with or at least much better with but I don't think he's funny on the show or you know I don't think it works so I that and, that's where I'm st- at
1: and Steve Janowski st- Steve Janowski as the Asian sex slave did nothing for you
3: I mean I didn't think it was that funny mostly <laughs> it was so it was so tied in with Farrell and his character that I can't really separate it. So I'd, I think I would have been fine with it separated out with a different, like a new character in that mm-hmm. role. But
1: Well, for what it's worth, I don't think we're going to see much more of Farrell. Because, I mean, in the first season, he's in maybe two episodes, and he's a busy guy. I can't imagine him being around a whole lot more this season. Yeah. So they they probably got it out of their system. But either way, I, I had a blast with this. It was insane.
3: And then on Monday, we have we are checking back in with how I met your mother, Karma. Uh, what did you think?
1: This was all right. I mean, i I've, I've been hearing good things about the recent run of episodes, so I, I figured it was smart to check back in this week. I like that they're actually doing stuff <laughs> because it seems like when we were watching it, Hemium was taking four or five weeks at a time just spinning its wheels. I think uh, the the end of the episode was logical. Although it would have been nice if he would said, "Here, I, I left your names on the lease if you want it," instead of just saying, "Here, I left your names on the lease. Take the apartment." But uh, other than that, I mean, it was it was solid. I, I like the appearances of uh, by Ghost Robin. The diary thing wasn't that funny for the most part, but. Um, and I also like the relationship between Barney and the stripper because he basically is a stripper, so it kind of makes sense.
3: Yeah, I actually like this episode, which felt so nice after not liking the show so much of the season. Um, I thought having Lily and Marshall move back to the city did, did not feel organic at all and felt very much like writers running out of ways to, to keep the group hanging out together. And so it didn't mm. feel very at, like it was natural to the characters at all, especially because it came out of nowhere. They were throwing parties at their house and happy there a couple weeks ago, so... Anyways, other than that, I did like the episode, so I'm, I, we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Next, we have now we're gonna go back to uh, back to Tuesday and go through now the dramas or whatever the hour longs. And we have Justified when the guns come out, and I think
1: not in the spotlight.
3: I know we was so it was it was a literal tie. The only reason it's not in the spotlight is because I felt like you you threw it to me, and I feel like we've been uh, spotlighting Justified every week. Why not give Luck a shot? But I think pretty much the the best way to describe this episode is with Coral's quote: "Shit, that's awesome." <laughs> so
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, this show is, is kicking so much ass right now. I, I mean, just to get it out of the way, my only real problem with the show right now is I think I'm not totally satisfied with the Limehouse character. Um, and it, it's no, it's not a problem with McKelty's Williams performance. I don't think it's just every. It seems like every week we get a scene with an underling. Where he's explaining what it is he's gonna do, which is such a weird contrast to Quarles, who you just have no idea what he's gonna do, and that's much more entertaining. Um, so that's not that's not great. Although I do I love the setting of Noble's Holler, and I do like the scene we get with Boyd uh, and him whenever they meet up. That's always great. That being said, I feel like right now the showrunners have this obligation to fill where they need at least one. Holy crap moment. It's somewhat akin to Breaking Bad but with more quips. And uh, of course this week we get the showdown in a moving office <laughs> which was pretty badass.
3: Yeah, this I mean this I I love just about everything in this episode. I would agree I'm not I'm not really uh in with uh Limehouse right now. I'm not I have problems with that. I, I figure as long as I'm noticing the fake teeth I'm not in the like I'm not buying into the performance, so hopefully that'll that'll change up. But everything with oh you and your
1: zombie white bread, me
3: and my zombie white bread. Uh, but Raylan Boyd quarrels is all great. I like the way they hung a lampshade on the Winona money stuff, and I like that that can't come back now. So that's pretty much yeah. Um, and I I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. I like season three better than season two.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Well, let's let's at least wait and see where this is headed, because I, I think very shortly we're going to see things come to an even bigger head, and things are going to start to get really nuts. And I, I'm waiting to see how the show handles that, especially with Limehouse and some of the other sort of peripheral characters that they keep adding. There are so <laughs> many characters right now. Holy crap. I mean, we've just added William Maypother, who's great as the pimp, and uh, this Tanner guy, and well, just – so, and we haven't even seen Dicky for a little while. Like, well, and you know go... who's
3: on tonight? Tobolowski.
1: I. What?
3: Toblaski's on, oh, on the episode man. tonight. Yeah, as yeah. There's I did there's not some, know that. There's some great. Oh, and I like just how they bring Stephen Root in for one scene, really cementing yeah. the world. It's great. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's firing out on all cylinders, and I'm so glad to have it right now. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, and uh, just l- lastly, I, I think they're handling the wine stuff really well, and their scenes. Yeah, that together great. where they where they talk like adults
3: isn't <laughs> it refreshing
1: fantastic <laughs> it really it really is uh and and i'm i'm even really liking the boyd and ava stuff because she's actually useful this week and
2: mm-hmm.
1: is really getting in i mean if she's gonna be you know a criminal badass she may as well commit and she did this week and it was awesome
3: yeah um now from that the our our passion for justify to top chef uh so what did you think of this not finale
1: oh god they're just dragging this on as long as they can aren't they yeah i feel like they know at this point like when it came to that judges table in my in my heart of hearts i knew paul wasn't going home just because i think they knew like look the, the food's all good it's basically arbitrary who we choose and a, a finale without paul is going to be desolate hmm. so let's bring him in
3: That's interesting uh, because the the thing I enjoyed the most about watching this episode was watching it with you and my sister and watching you both freak out when it looked like Paul might go home. And the uh, tension in the room was palpable. So if you knew it in your heart of hearts, then you were not expressing that while we were watching it.
1: I have layers, (laughs) is all I
3: have to say. Yeah, I'm glad that they're going to have a two-person finale. Um, I think that... They knew the season did not warrant a three-person finale, and uh, hopefully that'll mean that it'll be a shorter—they'll be done with Top Chef next week. It won't be a two-week ordeal for the finale, so I'm just ready for it to be oh, over. Oh, God, that would be hell. So Yeah,
1: I'm hoping they come up with a more uh, interesting and uh, diverse and less annoying cast of characters next time around. As
3: well as better challenges as, as yes. a whole.
1: Oh, yeah, that— Especially last week. That was just ridiculous.
3: I liked it. Fair enough, though.
1: Yeah. Let's move
3: on to something we actually care a little bit more about. That is the pilot to Awake, which is going to be airing next Thursday, this coming Thursday, that is, um, and is one of the most buzzed about pilots of the year. What did you think?
1: Well, I actually saw Lone Star, which was uh, also written by Kyle Killen. who's also responsible for The Beaver, which I didn't see. Uh, And I loved the Lone Star pilot and I even liked the second episode which even fewer people saw um so I was so I was really excited for this and I thought that show got such a raw deal I don't like this pilot quite as much as the Lone Star pilot actually I don't think I even like it three quarters as much I think that show had a great balance of uh humor and pathos and a and a great concept and and really interesting characters and a really neat setting Uh, This is much heavier on the concept part of that equation. And I'm a little bit worried about the show basically just turning into a sort of a blasé procedural with a twist. Uh, That would be an issue for me. But I do really like Jason Isaacs. Uh, The show has a really interesting look. I mean, actually, the whole cast is good. I like the dueling shrinks. Um, There's a lot to like. I'm just not sure if there's much to love for me so far.
3: Um, I think I definitely like it more than you do. I, I'm I like the pilot a lot. I really like the cast. The I you know it, it's interesting. Ryan McGee had put an article out this past I think it was this past week about how episodic TV has sort of fallen by the wayside. Um, as it shows even procedurals feeling the need to have some sort of serialized element, um, and this would definitely be one of these uh, one of those kinds of shows. But I agree with his basic premise that it's. Too bad that episodic TV has somehow, or you know, procedural TV without a serialized element has somehow become a bad thing because I like episodic TV, I like procedurals that are well done. It's part of why I liked uh, Prime Suspect so much. So, I am just fine with this being a procedural with some continuing elements. As far as you know, trying to figure out which reality is real, or, or just watching Jason Isaacs' uh, character growth over over week week to week, um, so I like a good cop show, so it looks like this could be a good cop show. And you know, I think the scene that really clinched it for me was when we saw, uh, Isaacs wake up without his armband and just lose his shit, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and that was a great performance from Isaacs in that scene, but also just the fact that that's where the character's at. You can see that he's just holding on by a thread or maybe an armband is, you know, that's how much he's holding on by. Ooh, look what I did there. It was kind of terrible. Um, Yeah. I I think that's really interesting and we'll see as long as they stay committed to that. um, I'm on board. So
1: yeah, I was reading an interview with uh, the showrunner and the writer uh, Killen and I'm under the impression that they don't really want to make which reality is real the central mystery, at least not for this season. Mm-hmm.
3: Which is smart.
1: Which they have another mystery in mind, and I'm curious as to what that will be. Uh As for the whole episodic thing, I mean, I I, I think ideally, I, I think there's something about having a balance of serialized and episodic elements that can be uniquely satisfying. I think uh, to some degree, less, less so this season, but I feel like Justified's been really good at that. They become more serialized, but... um, and also, The Good Wife, I think, is satisfying episodically and you know, on a serial level. But you know, I I, I see what he means, but I, I think it's I think there's an element of thou dost protest too much.
3: Well, yeah. So we'll see how Awake goes. I'm definitely gonna check in for for a while and see and follow it. You?
1: Yes, I'm I'm definitely curious to see what happens, and also curious to see if he'll get more than two episodes this time.
3: Yeah, fingers crossed, right? They are pimping the hell out of it though there were ads for it in almost every commercial break during the voice Mm -hmm. yeah so they are really trying to sell it
1: unlike with lone star you can't say that uh, nbc's not giving it a fair shake
3: yeah um next on friday we had fringe the end of all things and we found out about the observers and we found out about somewhat at least what september's goals and priorities were
1: you know it's funny because i feel like we find out some stuff but not quite i feel like i either want to know nothing or a little more than what we got like now i get you know i i get some things but ultimately i don't get the, the, the ultimate nagging question for me which is why do they care so much about specifically peter and olivia
3: because they have a super baby
1: yeah I, I, I guess i mean but except it's a super baby that it's not supposed to exist
3: no no they're going uh. to have a super baby
1: Oh, they're going if, to have a super. If okay. the
3: timeline is right.
1: Okay, but if they've seen all possible outcomes, why is one particular outcome so important to them? Like that, this is the stuff that bothers me, <laughs> and that we're not getting answers for, and I'm not sure if we will. Because uh, I, I'm tapping my watch. Like, come on, guys, you're going to get canceled soon.
2: They have eight episodes <laughs> so if left. You're,
1: if, if you're if you're doling out answers, give me the ones that I want. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I mean, it was a fine episode.
3: Um, I liked the return, of course, of David Robert Jones and Jared Harris is always great. I thought that the dueling Ninas was was actually somewhat interesting, if a bit obvious uh, as to
1: incredibly who obvious who the real
3: Nina was. But I, I thought Blair Brown played that well, and uh, and and I liked that you found out that Olivia had figured it out sooner than we might have expected. So that was cool, um, and. Uh, I, I I liked that they brought back the lights from season one, because that's been something, you know, I I mentioned this in my review over at org that the the thing with the lights from season one felt very much like a a plot line that they had discarded, they decided better of, you know, not to to go that way. And so to see them bring it back here, I think, is really interesting. And we'll see, you know, because Olivia's powers, air quotes, you know, basically got shunted into just she can travel between dimensions. So if there's more, which it would seem that there is, um, I'm glad that they're bringing it back now and it makes things interesting. I am not mm-hmm. interested in the Peter Olivia shipping stuff. Um, yeah. To have a, a them to have Peter last week say that, oh, okay, you have memories that I didn't could not have given you. So clearly I'm not responsible for you having these memories and then, and then forget about and it and then yeah completely back from back away from that this week as if he forgot that that happened was very strange and uh i mean i'm I'm hopefully,
1: I'm hopefully the next episode opens with him showing back up at her door
3: my bad my bad i mean like i'm not saying they need to get together i'm not saying that but just to have to have him go back to what he thought at the beginning of last week's episode as opposed to where he was at the end of last week's episode felt very strange
1: I also like that it takes Olivia disappearing for Seth Gable to get anything to do.
3: Anything to do. I mean, come on, guys. Uh,
1: he's going to have to go back to being Cillian Murphy's stunt double soon.
3: <laughs> um, anyways, we'll see. We, we're going to be off for fringe for, I think, another month. And then it'll be back and it'll be eight episodes in a row to the end. So mm-hmm.
1: assuming by which point it I'm betting up. we'll know what its fate is.
3: Yeah, I, assume, I mean, there's no way it's getting picked up. It has terrible ratings, and it's an it's a somewhat expensive show. There's no
1: way it's cheap. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, I I just hope that they go out strong. Mm-hmm. So then on Sunday we have the Amazing Race, and I'm sure you're very happy about ah! the outcome. <laughs> Though I do have uh, to say, if you had just signed up for the pool, you would definitely be doing so I would well have this points week right
1: now. Yeah. Because you know what was great about those goddamn clowns getting eliminated besides the fact that they got eliminated is that earlier in the episode you before they get eliminated and we never have to see them again you find out just how smug and awful they are (laughs) when they're when they're doing a challenge and the the male half of this vile cerebus is it's saying, oh we're so much smarter than them how are we losing you're not smarter you're a clown you're horrible and you can't do math. Basic math. <laughs> and you deserve to lose.
3: Oh, now, wow. you never have
1: children. I
3: like how it's, you're a clown, God. you're horrible. Wow. That is hilarious to me. You... <sighs> okay. It's
1: that simple. I'm sorry. There's never been a, a, a human clown to me.
3: You're honestly never. saying you would rather, you're glad that the big brother couple are in and the clowns are out. You would no, no, You would no. not let, rather let, let, switch that? Let
1: me be clear. Let me be clear. Now that the clowns are gone, Rachel especially is my next target. She's a horrible human being. She may as well be a clown. <laughs> wow. She's awful.
3: Wow. Okay. Um, I thought... I was watching this. I enjoyed the episode. I, As soon as they said the two challenges, my... Instant reaction was well, of course you go for the firewood thing because boiling water takes forever on a nice stove. Let alone, you know. So I was all for the. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the border patrol guys, though. The fact that they hate the Big Brother couple is has raised them somewhat in my estimation.
1: Everyone does. It seems like there was four teams at least cracking. Like we're never helping those people. Well,
3: as soon as she says I'm bad at the setting up the solar kitchen, I can't. I'm sorry, I'm a girl. I just wanted girl. to smack. Oh. I'm like, who are you, Lori from The Walking Dead? Come on, woman. <laughs> you know, girl, the country uh, girls yeah. got she that thing awful. together. The, the the Mississippi guys and the Kentucky girls are the two people who got that together fastest. So don't be playing any gender politics BS on this. Sorry, I felt strongly. And then when we get to the math thing, I was really surprised by how many people were having trouble with that. Now, I was, I, I'm enjoying the Kentucky guys a lot. That's um, uh, one of the people in the pool. That's her pick to, to win, to win at all the, the, the miss no, the Kentucky guys. Um, and I enjoyed that. The problem he was having was not the math. It was the fact that he had been rounding to, you know, instead of going with the specific number. Um, mm-hmm. So further, you know, winning them points in my eyes that it's like, no, I can do the basic math. It's just that, you know, I made an assumption, so right, yeah, uh, yeah. I was. I don't know.
1: It. I, I. I. feel like I would be surprised if Rachel and Dave weren't gonna win. I mean, not just because they won two weeks in a row, but I feel like whenever I watch The Amazing Race, it's always the like, sort of. <laughs> it's always the kind of bland, you know, solid people that end up winning. Like it's never the big characters. At least not when whenever I've watched it. I'm sure it has happened.
3: Um, the only thing I'm worried about with them. I like them, but there have been some rather bickery promos with them. So we'll see if that's just advertising or if they do just become the Bickersons the way that so many mm-hmm. of the couples do. That's why I rarely root for couples on this show because I feel like the friends mm-hmm. or the relatives tend not to be as uh, bitchy, basically, to mm-hmm. each other.
1: Yeah, but mostly I'll remember this as the week the clowns got killed.
3: <laughs> Lovely. It's <was> awesome. <laughs> um, anyway, so that we have... Of course, The Walking Dead had a new episode, 18 Miles Out. We talked about that on the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast with us and, of course, Ricky D from the Sound On Sight podcast. That should be going up in the Televerse feed, um, I think, later today or maybe tomorrow. Um, otherwise, that that is that will be up at org, Or if you subscribe to the Sound On Site feed, it'll be there, too. So you can listen to our thoughts there. Then on Monday, we also had Smash, The Cost of Art. Uh, I thought it was a lot better than last week. What did you think?
1: Yeah, it was... Better. Um, I mean, I, I I was having a little bit of trouble with Angelica Houston and her first world problems. Uh, you know, whining about how this incredibly expensive painting makes it makes her think of the good times and sitting around in a lavish apartment just looking at it. I had. I mean, I love Angelica Houston, but those scenes were very trying. Uh, Nick Jonas was good.
3: Yeah, he was good. I have to say, well although
1: didn't like the the performing scenes he got though because they were the the lip syncing was. N- worse than usual i thought um and just the sense of the sense of liveness was not very well emulated uh, at least not as well as it was in some of the other in in, for instance the rehearsal scenes um i i I, I do kind of enjoy the way they're toying with the reality of the of the performance scenes though like the way somehow nick jonas knows one of the lines to the song for the musical they're performing just because that they wanted to do that. It doesn't really make sense in reality, but it makes sense for them to do Uh, little things like that. I I kind of enjoy.
3: Um, I I think a lot of people are going to have problem, a problem with Ivy this week um, and think she's being uber bitchy towards Karen. Um, But I was actually fine with it. And uh, yeah, she was a little over the top, but there's a huge difference between being an ensemble player, somebody whose sound blends to being a soloist. And I like that they actually addressed that. And also in the in the scenes, you could see that Karen was not doing her job.
2: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I do think it was way too fast for the other members of the ensemble to go from we hate we hate this stupid bitch to we're going to help this stupid bitch. Yeah, that was way that that needed like at least another episode to happen. But hey, if the if the crime is moving too fast, there are worse ones.
3: But yeah, on the whole much better than last mm-hmm. week. And
1: and basically no assistant which is great.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The, the less assistant, the better. I was so glad for that this week. Um, anyways, yeah, so we'll see what happens with Smash uh, come, going forward. But for now, we're going to take a break and listen to some music, and we'll come back with our Spotlight on Luck.
0: Now that I know the way you gotta pay back every penny that you owe Twelve years old In your mama's clothes Shut the blinds and lock up every door
3: That was Now That I Know by Davenger Benhart and this was featured in this week's episode of Luck. Uh, they're, they're, they're not titling them. Is this, this is just episode five. But what did you think of Jokes. this? Jerks. <laughs> Well, I noticed that Eastbound and Down is doing the same thing. There's a few shows that have just eschewed the episode titles altogether. But what mm-hmm. did you think of this week's episode of Luck?
1: I think I'm enjoying Luck, as I've said before, more than 99% of the very small number of people that are watching it. This has to be one of the lowest rated dramas on HBO ever, uh, at least that I've noticed. It's, it's it's consistently pulling like a 0.2. So it's I feel kind of perverse spotlighting it because I'm sure that an insanely small number of people who listen to this podcast or are watching it but that's also why i'm i'm enjoying i mean we've spotlight we've spotlight justified for a while i felt like it was sort of luck's turn and i thought this was a really strong episode not necessarily the, with the most dramatic import and certainly not as much as last week but i i like that we took a week and just kind of got to know a, a few, like 3 or 4 of the characters a little bit better and particularly, I thought Richard kind ran away with the episode i I really liked all of his scenes uh, I feel like we got a better sense of what he really does this week and uh, I, they were a little bit cliched but I, I did like the phone calls to to the ex, although the scene at the bar at the end was a little much uh, but yes but he just he pulls that off with uh with with style <laughs> well well with with stammering style um and I mean the racing scene at the end was typically awesome. Um, I, I, personally, I found the whole watching that to be very stressful, which is what it's supposed to be. Uh, I like all the stuff with Marcus. Uh, I don't know. I really, I, I really just dig the, the vibe and the, and surprisingly almost all of the characters.
3: Yeah. I, uh, I think for me, well, I did really enjoy Richard Kind uh, this week, I think my favorite scene was the one between Jerry and, is that Marcus? Yeah. Jerry and Marcus uh, at the hotel, I thought was great. And um, Mm -hmm. just... Because
1: you finally get a sense of why they're buddies.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it really... It showed us a lot about both of those characters. And, um, And it did it without... While being true to them, but also letting the viewers in in a way that maybe those characters normally wouldn't let you so mm-hmm. I, I thought it worked really well i i like what we get with dustin hoffman this week i thought that was pretty pretty good uh pretty interesting and um the just a little bit of insight into the jockeys as well the can mm-hmm. that continues to be interesting and i didn't miss nick nolte so if i'm not missing yeah. nick nolte on this show that means they're doing something right
1: yeah, I mean it's it's great that they you know they've got these two big name movie stars and hey we can give one of them a week off and it's fine we don't need to rest on them we can have just as much time spent with John Ortiz who's been consistently awesome. Uh, I, I love more time.
3: I love Jill Hennessy's character, you know, trying to correct his cultural uh, lexicon. It's not Judge Judy. <laughs> oh, yes, Jud- what are you... <laughs> Judge Judy. Yes, <laughs> it was great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, it's weird because it's. The the dialogue on the show is a little bit different from, say, Deadwood or even um, John Cincinnati. It's not Melchian in in quite the same way as you might expect, but it is consistently awesome. I I really love the the way the show's written. Uh, I I love that scene between Marcus and Jerry that you mentioned. Um, God, what else am I enjoying? I, I like that we get a totally different side of Dustin Hoffman's character, kind of teased by the ending of the previous episode. Yeah. You know, we get no scheming this week, no vengeance, just, you know, him being nervous about... Uh, Joan Allen not showing up, mm-hmm. and he's you know he's on, on one level you know he's a gangster and and you know a, and, a, and a hood, but on the other hand he is you know just a guy who's you know been in prison a long time and doesn't really know how to handle himself.
3: Yeah, yeah. I continue to really enjoy the camaraderie between Farina and Hoffman, and I mm-hmm. think they've they've made that work very well. Uh, I I like that uh, at the end we get a clear statement from Hennessy's character that obvious they all know that Dustin Hoffman is the owner of the horse. It's clear, which is nice because the the facade of that earlier was getting a little uh, uh, tedious to me. So it's Mm -hmm. nice to know that they're playing along, not idiots. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I as a whole, I don't have that much to say about this episode or really I don't have that much to say about the series other than I think they're doing a really good job.
1: Hmm. I mean, it's already been renewed for a second season, and I'm assuming that's going to be it because, like I said, nobody watches it. But then again, Treme got a third season, so I don't know exactly what HBO's deal is right now. I mean, I, can, I, I guess they're banking on DVD sales because this is the kind of show that may well have legs, so to speak, mm-hmm. in that sense. On the other hand, if it only gets two seasons, I can see it really accomplishing a lot in that time and just being... A really satisfying experience, as I think it already is.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing I will mention, though, is that I, d- I really love the music in the episode, and that I think every time I listen to that theme song, I like it more. So mm-hmm. it's really like it's really grown on me. At first, I was a bit nonplussed by it, but I- I'm really liking it now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's hard to go wrong with Massive Attack, and although I do like the music supervisor for the show, clearly. It's it's kind of charming in a way, but if if you know the about the music they're picking, it's all at least 3 to 4 years old, if not older, and it's it's like not quite current, but it's not old either. It's like whoever is doing the music supervision to kind of stopped listening to new music a little while ago, <laughs> which is doesn't bother me, but it is kind of cute.
3: Yeah. Well, anyways, if you're if you haven't checked it out yet, do I do catch up with luck, it's it's worthwhile and it's really been kicking into gear here, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just be be ready for mumbling, weird accents, uh, a lot of detail. Uh, be ready to do a bit of research on horse racing. Uh, it's a weird show, but I'm I think it's it's doing things that nothing else on TV is doing right now.
3: Yep well that was our week in tv um now a a few show notes before we go to our our dvd shelf you can of course email us at theteleverse at gmail.com we are going to be up on current if you're not uh, an itunes fan you can reach us that way or by subscribing to the rss feed you can also subscribe to us in itunes we have an mp3 and an m4a feed so you know whichever uh whichever works better for you go for go for that we would love to get some some more reviews on itunes because i think we're at three right now it would be really great to get a few more so um you can leave us a review there that really helps us out otherwise um i'm on twitter at the televerse you are uh, at sucker howl and you can drop us a line let us know what you're th- what you're thinking of all all of this uh TV this week and if you want in on the amazing race pool just let me know and then finally of course we're going to have a post up at sunsite.org and you can leave us comments there to let us know what you think of for example our our deadwood shelf that we are about mm-hmm. to throw to you right now and mm-hmm. i would just say uh if you have kids around, uh, the clip that we're gonna use that I use to lead into <laughs> Deadwood is, uh, shall we say, it shares its vernacular with the rest of the series. So uh, lots of swearing. Can I, can
1: I just say, kids <laughs> everywhere should be required to watch Deadwood from a
4: young age.
3: <laughs> so yes, that is what our explicit tag this week is about. It's so heads up. That's that's coming for you. So we'll we'll take a break, listen to that clip, listen to the theme song, and be back to talk with the guys we've previously on about Deadwood.
0: Eight ounces of gold at $20 an ounce is $160 plus $10 for a half ounce makes $170 total. Inform your dealers and whores of my credit and pour me a goddamn drink. Honor and a pleasure, my good man. $170 credit, Dan, for Ellsworth. Yes, sir. 170 for Ellsworth. I'll let everybody know. First one today with this hand. And pour me another, my good man. Here comes another. I'll tell you what. I may have fucked my life up flattered and hammered shit, but I stand here before you today beholden to no human cocksucker and working a paying fucking gold claim. And not the U.S. government saying I'm trespassing or the savage fucking red man himself or any of these limber dick cocksuckers passing themselves off as prospectors. They better try and stop me. They better not try it in here. God damn it, Swearingen. I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. But I enjoy the way you lie.
3: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Mr. Simon Howell, and this week at the DVD shelf, we are pleased to welcome the guys from previously on. It's our first uh, four-way DVD shelf. Uh, David and Sean, thanks for coming back on the show.
4: Thanks for inviting us to your four-way. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs>
3: So uh, so we're talking Deadwood, and I'm probably going to have to make sure I put a uh, a warning at the beginning of, of this, just because I know we stick the explicit tag on a lot of our podcasts for just accidental swearing, but oh, Deadwood. Uh, so just as a warning, this is probably going to get explicit. If there are children in the room, maybe pause this and talk, you know, come to it later. But... I know from listening to previously on that you guys are both huge fans of Deadwood. Uh, So just briefly um, let's start with David, I guess, what's your relationship with the show and when did you first come to it and all of that good stuff.
4: Well, thanks for the disclaimer and uh, to paraphrase uh, Ellsworth, thank you for allowing me my full form of expression. Um, (laughs) uh, And uh, how did I come to Deadwood? Uh, I mostly came to Deadwood through um, unemployment and HBO offering three free months when you first signed on. And Deadwood is probably a big part of the reason why I stuck with HBO after they started making me pay. Uh, I, I It was, I think, right right after the second season, maybe? I'm trying to think, what, what years did they air? Uh, 2004,
3: 2004 to 2006.
4: Yeah. So this would have been, yeah, because I moved to um, Los Angeles in 2005, um, in uh, late 2005, and was steadily working in early 2006 I was unemployed had the free HBO because I'd signed up for cable and uh, the first two seasons were on on demand and I watched them all in just a couple of days and then watched the third season as it as it aired so that's that's how I came to it what was the rest of the question
3: um just your you know relationship with the show and what is it that makes it such a favorite for you
4: um it's um if i can get into sort of grand statements right off the bat here um it's one of my favorites because it is uh in many ways a, a singular show there is nothing else like it there there hasn't been there might never be uh but in other ways it is very much the sort of epitome of what um tv can be and do and 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 there i think People get so, you know, d- distracted and rightfully so by the the flourishes of language and the authenticity of the, um, you know, uh, of the production design and the costumes and, and the stuff that makes Deadwood different that I think sometimes it's overlooked just how, how great a sort of classical television show it is. Would you agree, Sean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's probably... Greatest show ever made, next to The Sopranos, I guess. And yeah, David David said it pretty well. But I think uh, one of the things I like about it, that's sort of different from the other great dramas, is it is actually a pretty. I mean, maybe it's only in comparison to others, but it's actually a pretty optimistic, and life affirming show in a lot of ways, and uh, a lot of the TV that we all love is definitely not. Um, but that's one of the things I like most
4: about it. I think, yeah, the, I think a word I would use to describe Milch is humanistic. Yeah. And I think that tends to get applied to maybe, um, uh, comedic auteurs or, or filmmakers uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, and that certainly fits, but, um, uh, you know, the, the amount of obviously like people dying and the cruelty and stuff, uh. It masks the, the, the fact that it actually is a very humanistic show. And also, speaking of comedy, it's also one of the funniest shows, I think, ever.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: If, if, there, was ever, a if, if there was ever a, an argument for being able to have, uh, as you were saying earlier, David, full form of expression, uh, <laughs> David Milch's ability to make just the word cocksucker hilarious is uh, I think unprecedented. I always I always immediately when thinking about the show go to that shot of Jane on the horse. <laughs> she sits up, says cocksucker, and falls right back down. Uh, so <laughs> there's just some. You're absolutely right. There uh, there's such great humor interspersed with mm-hmm. su- such immediate violence, and all. But also with that violence, everything has consequences. Somebody gets their face beat, and it is they look terrible for weeks and weeks. At least uh, in episodes right. and episodes, and but but all that violence uh, underlying the, the sort of positive note of people coming together to form community and to build a civilization out of wilderness, I think, is actually like you were saying, Sean, a very um, uplifting sort of uh, diamond in the rough, shall we say. Uh, Sean, uh Simon, what about you?
1: Um- well, I think it's personally, it's my favorite show ever. I also, sorry, I have to quickly apologize. I've got a horrible cold, so I'm going to sound like hell throughout this whole thing. Um, it's my personal favorite show ever, and I think out of the three sort of great HBO dramas, uh, the, of the three Davids, you know, David Milch, David Chase, David Simon, um, Deadwood is probably the least perfect, and yet, paradoxically, by far my favorite um i think that it's it has this ungainly quality to it that every season i think has a storyline or two that probably not everyone is totally happy with or a character that doesn't quite go anywhere or just these strange rambling plots and things like that and it's those it's those sort of dead ends and and stray parts that make me like the show even more and I think in that sense, I'm trying to think of a way to say this that isn't unbearably corny, but I think it's the show that most accurately represents life itself, which is maybe why I like it more than any other show, which is not to say that it's necessarily the most realistic show of all time, but I think in in the way it represents within its characters and within its storylines contradiction and paradox, I think it does that more thoroughly than any other show, which to me makes it in that sense more realistic than any other.
4: Well, yet the, um as far as re- re- uh representing life itself um there's uh myriad sort of um or just a lot of anthropological worth i think to what milch is is doing uh, because what he's what he's saying about humanity is that um even if you take it away from all the rules and the order it will uh it it will establish it on itself it, it will naturally come Come together and organize into hierarchies and rules. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, and I think that
1: that's what that's when you were talking earlier about the show's ultimate optimism. That's that's there, uh, and and that's it. It appears in that form, and of course, it, it gets more specific uh, later in terms of the message of the show when the figure of George Hearst arrives, who I'm sure we'll talk about later, and then the show sort of it starts talking more specifically about the influence of unfair capitalism and what that does and and how the camp responds to that and that's a whole other you know bag of oranges but uh i don't know t- to me the show is just bigger and deeper than any other i can think of not that others don't make a you not that you couldn't make a similar claim for other shows i guess but for me it it, it represents the, the span of the human experience better than anything else
3: and what i find so interesting about that is that there, there are other shows that approach storytelling from a more philosophical angle or are, are are interested in particular themes or discussing you know time periods or certain events in history or types of people or types of jobs um, but this is one of the best shows at doing all of that but while still remaining i would say on the whole a character driven show that has it has the themes it has the other stuff there but if you don't care about the philosophical things, if you don't care about the history, if you don't care about all of the bigger you know, ideas that, uh, that, that David Milch is playing with, there's just great characters. And every, with for me one exception, which I'm sure we'll get to later, every character in the show is an interesting, fully fleshed out, fully dimensional character. And that is a rare thing. Bueller?
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I, 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 I'm I only, only not responding because uh, there's nothing more to add, I think. Although I'm curious who your one exception is.
3: Okay, let, let's let's go into that. Um, I'm curious what you guys think. I think Cy Tolliver is the...
4: <laughs> I knew you were going to say it.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's just not interesting. And my problem with him isn't the fact that he tends to be a vicious bastard. Because um, there are plenty of other vicious bastards on this show. But I just feel like he's not an interesting character. Um, he's the only, and, and it just, he's the exception that proves the rule for me on this show, that he's the only one who every time he's on screen, I kind of wish that anybody else was instead, because I find every other character more interesting. I was talking with this with you about this uh, earlier, Simon, and I know you're more of a supporter of him than I am. What am I missing in, in Tolliver?
1: Uh well I think you're underrating the scenery chewing abilities of Power's Booth who who is just I I don't know there's something about the way Sai is he's so intensely he, he has this angry form of self-pity that's like that's very specific to him and he doesn't really do a whole lot else but I still find it entertaining to watch I agree, I agree that he's certainly one of the least dynamic characters but i wouldn't i wouldn't subtract him from the equation by any means
4: i don't know there there uh, uh i, I mean cuz i, I kind of see where you're coming from kate but i also think there's an there's an episode in season 1 that i think is uh particularly instructive to sort of figuring out who Oliver is and it's one of the most disturbing upsetting episodes of television i've ever seen uh i think it's called suffer the children or suffer the little children mm-hmm. the one that veronica mars is on <laughs> um, <laughs> And she well, she was on the one before as right. well, but yeah. this is the one where she. Um, I mean, uh, what, what's our spoiler policy here?
3: I think we're not going to worry about it. I think okay. we could try to avoid some of the bigger things, maybe if we're you know because we do want people who haven't seen Deadwood to check it out.
4: Right. Okay. But go um, for it. So it's the it's the one where you know uh, Kristen Bell and her her brother Flora and I can't remember his name are um, con artists and they are. Caught by Sai, and uh, he goes, even for the Wild West and the brutality we've seen on the show, he goes above and beyond and is um, just especially sadistic in doling out his punishment to them. Um, and he does it both because he's been, you know, because to teach them a lesson, but also he does it for Joni's sake because he feels like he's teaching Joni a lesson because she was taken in by Flora because maybe they have some shared uh some some shared things there and i i am not you know i i don't have enough of a psychological background to actually parse what is going on with Sai there or what that says about him but i think that that scene um his reaction to that um is the key to understanding that he's more than just a scenery chewing uh villain there there's something uh there's something very deep and sort of uh uh rotten and poisonous in him
3: well and he does function in throughout the series as the the other to swearingen at least uh, superficially of course the one of the strong threads throughout the series is the dual nature of of swearingen and bullock but in there's also a clear parallel between and and, uh, or Tolliver and Swearengin as well. But just for me, after the first season, I felt like he served nearly, uh, very little purpose, particularly from the third season on. I really didn't see why he was there.
4: Uh, let me again uh, defend Sai a little bit here, because um, I think thematically he works into the third season, um, and maybe this even goes back to his his punishment of, um, of Flor and her brother, that he's, uh, sort of reactive he's a reactionary um and maybe not long doesn't have he's sort of maybe myopic is the word i'm looking for Mm -hmm. whereas swearingen his 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 counterpart in many ways has his vision he's thinking multiple steps down the line um tolliver is not and that's why tolliver so easily um, falls in or attempts to fall in with with hurst attempts to align himself behind hurst uh, I, so I think thematically he works into the third season in that way, as a, as a foil to swear Engine.
3: Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. But Sh- Sean, let's get your thoughts in here as well. What do you think?
2: Um,
3: <laughs> you can say pass. That's cool.
2: Yeah, I choose to abstain. <laughs>
3: New York abstains. I, I, abstain?
2: I, I, I think we're spending too much time on Psy, and we should talk about <laughs> all the great characters that we love.
3: Yes favorite characters
2: let's go around the horn sean oh reverse clock recorder
4: yeah yeah right. well she doesn't know what order we're sitting in
2: oh right (laughs) uh my favorite character you know it's one of those things that is impossible Mm -hmm. so i'll just go every every character has their peaks um but i'll just go with my first thought best thought and say uh doc cochran Mm, good one uh, especially circa season one. And then he was sort of, he sort of got sidelined a little bit, um, in seasons two and three. But circa season one, he was, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to put it other than awesome. And He's Brad Br- Dourif.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jinx.
3: Getting to play a good guy for once.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, David, how about you? Uh,
4: uh, also, I mean, I I agree with Sean. I, I could say there there's a handful of okay, I would list them, except I'd probably step on what your guys' answer are is. So I'm gonna go with um, uh, I'm, I'm actually gonna go with Joni, because um, I, I I think I, I I maybe I just relate to her sort of melancholy in a lot of ways. Um, but it, it's also something you don't consider about the Old West, or or, or even within this show, people you know so much of their day is taken up with surviving, you know, and getting through the getting through the day. You don't think about people having the time to be depressed. Um but at the same time, like a lot of melancholy people, Joni's got a great wit. Um I'll quote um two of my favorite lines and this is where your where your explicit warning will come into handy, uh Kate, but um when she first meets Ellsworth and Ellsworth says like is listing all the things that he he does or what his you know what he's accomplished in life, and he says you know uh, it, it, I can't remember if he says if I were in if I were in mixed company or whatever he says uh, I might throw a fucking in there, and she says if you did I'd catch it. Uh, I like that line, and then my other one of my favorite lines of the entire series is when uh, at the at the uh, what's it called the chez um when Francis Walcott says. Um, I I can bring you stories from the world of men. And she says, uh, well, I'll just be over here in my girl's world diddling myself.
3: I knew you were going to say that one as soon as you said Joni lines, because it is a fantastic, fantastic line. And so it's hilarious, but it's also incredibly telling of the character and her situation and just what that, what that world was like for, for women. (laughs) Yeah. Simon over to you. Who, who would you uh, have as a standout?
1: Well, if I was picking a whore, I'd have gone for Trixie, uh, and I use that word with the utmost affection, um, because I, I especially this one because I did watch the whole series again, and I, I was really struck with Paula Malcolmson and just her her impatience with Saul and 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 her relationship with and especially, are just so fascinating. Uh, but my classic answer is always Ellsworth. Uh, I love Jim Beaver in this role. He What's funny to me about Jim, watching Jim Beaver on Deadwood is that he seems like the sort of guy who, in real life, would never swear, and yet, and and maybe that's why his character relishes saying cocksucker so much, uh, particularly in the pilot, quite memorably. Uh, I just find that he's—I mean, it—it it, it doesn't hurt that he's like the paragon of goodness for basically the entire for basically the entire three seasons, um, and I—I I guess some people might find his nobility. Kind of, kind of a stretch in some senses, but I, I always felt like I knew exactly psychologically where his character was, and I, and I felt the agony of each of his decisions, and he has to make a few of those, and uh, I, 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 felt myself really, uh, if I, if I see myself in anyone, hopefully it's Ellsworth on the show, but maybe, maybe that's too kind of to myself.
3: Well, I like that, uh, as you say, he is a noble character as far as these things go on, on Deadwood. Um, and unlike Bullock, one, one who can actually hold in his temper unless he's talking to hers. But I do like that, you know, in the first season, he's not always in what we might, in our moral stance now, call the right. You know, he sees somebody murdered and he knows to keep his mouth shut about it and you know there are other situations where he's he's a man of his time or good man of his time in his situation um so i th- i it's a great pick i also rewatched the series uh for this and i was really struck this time through cuz of course the first time through you you know it's it's all about al and bullock and and Trixie and Saul and Alma, but for me this time through, it was Woo <laughs> and and Richardson and Johnny. Uh who are just particularly particularly Johnny I just really got to got to be the actor, Sean Bridgers, is fantastic. It's not easy to play dumb. And he does such a great job of it. So I would say those for for me were the ones who most Surprised me as well as the 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 women both uh anagon and kim dickens really impressed me this time around too but yeah if i were to pick one i guess i'd go with johnny
4: yeah johnny was on my my short list too for sure
1: yeah sean bridges is really really good and he's also he's one of the characters there aren't many characters for whom i would say season three is their peak partially because gerald McRaney shows up and just tears the shit you know tears (laughs) the roof off the place uh, but I would say that, that that's probably Johnny's most interesting season. And, and especially for him, it gets quite heartbreaking near the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of Gerald McRaney, I can't speak uh, too highly of his... I, I mean, I think there's two great villain... Well, there's a few great villain roles on the show. I would, But, you know, the ones that really stand out for me are Garrett Dillahunt in his dual role. But especially as Francis Walcott, who is just creepy and yet is, is somehow identifiably human even though he is a, a, a an awful killer of women and and yeah Gerald McRaney who is you know best known as a sitcom actor just uh, absolutely terrifying and once again believable as a guy who just should not be around people
3: yeah i knew him very much i had seen him in several other things of course and was familiar with him from sitcoms but also in like, in the Untouchables and so many other series as the gruff military leader or the, like, the CIA boss or something like that, you know, who's detached but underneath it has a heart of gold and really cares about his people. And so just to watch him play a psycho is is pretty darn fun. And there's a lot of actors who, I've, like, in, upon re-watching the show, my heart was kind of breaking for them because they haven't gotten to do anything approaching, you know, they haven't gotten characters anywhere approaching these these characters since, um, it, granted, it's only been a few years, but still, I just I think of, for example, uh, Robin Wiegert or Weigert as Calamity Jane, who's just fantastic, and she's in one or maybe two episodes of Lost as uh, Juliet's sister, but yeah. other than that, I haven't seen her popping up anywhere, and she needs more work because she's amazing.
4: She was in the uh, um, HBO version of Angels in America as well. Was that after Deadwood? I don't know. I, I think that was before Deadward. It's not a very big part.
1: Yeah, she needs more work. Uh, it's it's especially jarring when, um, I don't
4: know if any of you guys
1: listen to the commentaries at all, but when you listen to her talk normally, you realize that in addition to them dirtying her up and really just making her as mangy as possible, uh, she's really she's really going quite guttural uh, every time she talks, and that, that can't have been an easy role to do.
3: Well, it's it's a tricky balance, and it's also an interesting character to look at, and maybe we can transition with that into some of the history of this show, but um, Calamity Jane and the show is actually rather different than the historical figures, and in some ways she's very similar, but the actual Calamity uh, Jane, when she didn't meet Wild Bill until or Charlie until they were all in Deadwood, and when she was in Deadwood, worked f- at the gem for a while, and... And worked in, a, in another brothel as well. Um, and so that's probably where they got the, the connection with her and Joni from, because she was friends with the madam at another brothel. But I, it was mm-hmm. it's interesting. I, I like how if you look uh, into the history of it, some of the characters are very similar or seem very similar to what we know of them, Solstar in particular. But then other characters, for example, Martha, uh, uh, sorry, I meant Seth Bullock in particular. Martha Bullock was his childhood sweetheart. And they had a daughter before she even moved out there. So some are completely different. And I love that he was, uh David Milcher, this was willing to, in some ways, hew very close to the history, but also not be afraid to change it, you know, in the in the name of good storytelling.
1: And, and what's cute is if you do know the history and you know where they've changed it, like the more you read, the more you get to appreciate little things. Like, um, I think it's in the pilot when... Um, When Jane tells off everyone who is in Al's place, Mm -hmm. you know, saying she's the only one with balls and she leaves. And then Al says, well, don't worry, she's not taking any business with her, which is kind of cute if you know that, you know, that she probably did work there. And uh, then, of course, uh, other little things like I think it's in to go all the way around to to the I think the last episode, uh, Hearst makes some mention of don't worry, I'm going to start my own newspaper, (laughs) which is uh, which is a nice little touch. Yeah. Mm
3: Well, what was your, did you have any knowledge of, of the history of, of this area before watching the show? Like, was this new to you? What was your, you know, experience with it that way?
4: Yeah, I didn't I, didn't I, I knew.
2: Yeah, I knew nothing. I knew of Wild Bill and Calamity Jane, like I'm sure most people do, but uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't really know anything else.
4: Interesting.
3: Um, I'm gonna take it back to, actually to Simon because I'm curious. You've been talking for the past couple of days because you're going to do a paper on Deadwood and the acting. You have this dual theory.
1: I, I just started taking a course on uh, right on film acting. I'm not going to be doing any acting. I'm just gonna be writing about it. Thank God. But um, my, my my theory about the the characters of Deadwood is, is I it's, it's with with a couple of exceptions. I think that almost every character embodies some kind of key contradiction that is something about their inner nature is contradictory to their outer nature. Like Bullock, for instance, is, you know, seemingly this paragon of good, but he's also probably the most rage filled character on the entire show. And he's, you know, and that gets him into, into hot water a lot. Swearingen uh, I mean, it has this gruff exterior and is, you know, can be a brutal man. Uh, and Takes pains to be alone as often as possible, often talking to inanimate objects or to people who are sucking his dick. But um, <laughs> I, I couldn't be avoided. Um, but you I, know. No,
4: really... Hold on, that that yeah. particular phrase could have been avoided. <laughs> there was there was a, a polite way a to say this. that.
3: Yeah, but a politer way people... wouldn't seem quite right okay, for fine. the character. Right.
1: <laughs> okay, fine. People who are servicing as members. Um, how many does he have uh, we don't know we don't see it Um,
3: (laughs) luckily we don't see it unlike certain people who shall remain ron swanson
1: yeah um anyway but despite that he's actually the character who has the most to do with preserving the camp's uh, you know overall extended well-being as well as being you know one of the architects of the camp from what we can tell uh i could go on but it seems to me that that's I mean I, you know that's even true. of People like Richardson and Jewel and characters who seem to be strictly on the periphery. Well, if I can, um,
2: I, I there's this that yeah that, I agree and that's very key to to Milch's work I think, and I'm quoting him, quoting Herman Melville, but he says a good poem spins against the way it drives, and I think that's kind of the key to the. To what you were talking about with the, with the way these characters are and how the appearances are not necessarily what is actually um, the reality, I guess.
3: Before we move on from the characters, I, there are two more that I want to mention just because I'm gonna regret it if I don't. Um, Eb, who I think more than any other single thing that I said while I was watching rewatching the show, it was oh Eb, he's <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> the the performance is is great and then i want to make particular uh care to mention uh reverend smith who is just which is just such an amazing performance
4: ray mckinnon and uh good to talk to the the historical inaccuracies or, or changes again the real reverend smith didn't have the epilepsy or or, or whatever it is that the reverend smith has in the series and actually um died while traveling to preach in a neighboring uh camp um was uh presumed killed by indians yeah
1: I'll, from what i understand they only wrote out that character because uh Ray mckinnon had another had a movie to write or be in he because he's also a filmmaker um and yeah. what what i find interesting about him is that uh Ray mckinnon that is is that whenever i've seen him on anything else he has he's never been as good uh, and recently they had him i don't know if you guys watched the most recent, recent seasons of sons of anarchy but they cast him as a federal agent who's really eccentric and and not entirely dissimilar dissimilar away from the reverend, and it just it seemed really labored and like an, like an attempt to recapture that magic. And he's so great on on, on this. Uh, he's I can't I can't imagine anyone else in the role. It's too bad that he, that they didn't want him to stick around. And yet, it's one of those decisions that I always wonder about because TV is like this. It 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 involves these snap decisions that end up shaping the course of the entire of entire series. And it's really his death that sort of brings the camp together uh, for one of the first times uh, near the end of season one. So I, I wonder what what they what they would have changed had they been able to keep him around.
4: Uh, I, I'll quickly. I just want to disagree with you that Ray McKinnon is not as good in other stuff because I pretty much love him and everything. Uh, he was in like one scene in Take Shelter this year, that movie. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no, it, I'm just,
1: I'm just saying, it, it, it's, it's never been quite as good for me. I mean, he, he is a good intake shelter. I was just mostly annoyed with him on Sons of Anarchy, which is as much the showrunner's fault right. as his.
4: And he's an O brother, or art thou? He's funny in that.
2: Oh, he's yeah, he's the other
4: the the the, the, the yeah the
2: fighter pugilist. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I find it impossible to believe that he was destined to go beyond season one because they they set up that illness that he had really early on and he and the the whole thing evolved over the season i i'm shocked to hear that he might have uh, continued into season 2 that's surprising to me
3: well and it's something in season 1 when the doc starts approaching him about you know i think you have a tumor or something i you know when i was first watching the show I was worried that it was going to take a turn where the doc was going to give him brain surgery in the Old West and somehow he was going to be okay, you know, like that sort of a thing because I didn't know the show well enough to know that it would not do that. Um, And so as soon as that was introduced, I started to get a little nervous that they were going to go that way to try to keep the character around. So I do think it worked really well. As much as I love the character and the performance, I do think it worked really well to have him um, come in and and then leave uh, in in short of succession and i there are a couple different characters that i think work very well because of that i would say Ms. mrs islingham is another character like that who who doesn't outstay her welcome and therefore is an effective role
1: the uh, the House arc is probably my least favorite of season 2 i find that whole plot very almost needlessly convoluted and I'm also not the biggest Sarah Paulson fan. Like he's probably yeah. His, I was, I was, I was about the same to say that.
2: <laughs> she just feels uh, out of place in the show. I think maybe she's a little too modern or something. Maybe you just get annoyed because you start thinking about Studio 60. <laughs> That's probably part of
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, since you mentioned uh, period medicine a minute ago, I have to th- I, I have to mention that one of my favorite arcs or mini arcs on the on the show is the kidney stone.
3: Oh man, that
1: that troubles uh, Swear Engine near the beginning of season two, and which they end up spending several episodes on because that's how awful a thing it was to have happen to you at the time.
3: Well, and he just looks like crap. For... The, like most of the rest, or at least a solid half of the season. That was actually pretty hilarious because I was watching Deadwood um, at, at my parents' house and my dad came in and the one scene he's seen of Deadwood, and this was enough, was he sat down right when they were inserting the catheter and then went, no, we're good. I don't need to watch this show. <laughs> and I can't say that I blame him. It's, I think a good, my, it's my, hard to um, watch.
4: My, my ex-girlfriend walked in while I was watching um, the, um, uh, her the 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 tall chinese guy who came with Hearst throwing oh, the, uh, the San Francisco cocksucker like <laughs> yeah throwing um dead de- de- dead yeah. chinese uh prostitutes into a uh, onto a bonfire and she was like yeah i'm not watching this show <laughs> oh but what what if she'd come in while uh
1: while the captain and dan were fighting <laughs> Oh, yeah <laughs> cuz damn that has got to be one of the worst street fights in tv or movie history mhm well, I think you, it's brutal.
3: Well, you're just watching it and you're like, okay, street fight, street fight. Okay, going to be, you know, uh drowned in the street. That's pretty unfortunate. And then eyeball. So,
4: uh-huh.
3: it just kicks it up a notch. It's it's, <laughs> <I'll>
4: it's... Say, <laughs> the, the the sound that the captain makes when his eyeball comes out is the exact same sound I was making in my head when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, and what's what's really great about that sequence and watch it again if you feel like it and test test this out is that a lot of the time when you watch fighting in TV or film, they really they really goose the sound effects, but here, in, especially in that sequence, and it's true I guess of the series as a whole, the the, the sound design is is really subtle and I I don't know how realistic it is because I haven't been in that many street fights involving eye popping, but um it it just it d- doesn't feel exaggerated. Um, a close second, of course, for great street fights on Deadwood would be Bullock and Swearingen's throwdown in the season two premiere, which is. Which, had the captain and Dan not headed out, would have easily been the best fight in the show's history. And has a spectacular ending as well.
4: With the line, welcome to fucking Deadwood, can be combative. One of my favorite lines (laughs) in the entirety of the show.
3: I tried so hard to make that... To edit something together out of that fight to be the the int- like the quote that I put before this segment, <laughs> I tried so hard, but it just it doesn't work because it's too long of a fight. No matter how much you cut it in, if you don't have the visual, I just wanted that line so much, but
1: it <laughs> had
3: to go a different different direction with it. But speaking of of the sound design, let's transition into talking a little bit about the production of the show because. Uh, Somehow, and probably because at the time this was going up for all the awards against the Sopranos and the West Wing, um, I don't think Deadwood got any acting awards. I think, what, uh, Ian McShane got a Golden Globe, um, and, and that, that's about it. I don't, it might have gotten some, write, some writing and directing, but the big place they got awards was in costumes and makeup and set design and, and all of the production elements to the show, and that is one of the things that I think really helps set you in, in this world because I think it would be easy to not really fully believe what you're seeing. If every little detail wasn't so well put together from, from the mud on the skirts to just the particular each each character's level of grime and just things like that, I think really sell the world.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And along those lines, I think uh, Deadwood is, uh, is a real living town on the show because they pretty much built an actual town, and I think uh, uh, maybe those. Well, actually, no. I was gonna say maybe those days are over, but then HBO is spending big bucks on uh, their other new shows, their other big epics. But uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, I guess just the level of commitment to that uh, set
4: is impressive. Yeah, you hear you hear yeah, stories yeah. from people about like actors just you know. That you actually are just living in the town. There's actually like cattle roaming around and stuff. And then, uh, and then I think like Stephen Toblowski joked like, and then you turn around and there's the six o five freeway like <laughs> in the other direction. But yeah, sorry, if, I cut you off, Simon.
1: No, that's all right. If if you and if you have never seen Deadwood and you enjoy uh, Boardwalk Empire and you you need you need to go watch Deadwood now because you have that show to thank. For the fact that they had to build, they they, you know HBO paid to build the boardwalk from scratch, because they basically did the same thing for Deadwood, which and I'm sure you know Boardwalk Empire will be around several times longer, unfortunately. But um, speaking of production aspects, the music is fantastic. You know they they, honestly they probably reuse the the same like seven cues over and over, but it's uh, for the most part it's it's extremely fitting uh, for the drama and and it's and it's never. Uh, it never feels like they're goosing the drama too much. I espe- I especially also love the end credits music, which is always different, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh, some some of it is is period music, some of it is not, uh, but it never feels jarring.
3: Mm-hmm. I-, I love the uh, instrumentation that they go with, and and the few scenes we get of diegetic sound, I I think work really well. I of course I'm thinking of the wedding and and some of the funerals as well. It's just very very effective at putting you. In the world and and like you're saying Simon they do a great job of of picking songs for the end credits if they're not period that that sort of lull you back into you know transition you from watching Deadwood to you know being back on your couch uh, you know sitting and watching the show which I think is is pretty impressive what did you guys think of the the cinematography and the the green screen effects because the first time I watched it I noticed them but the second this rewatch I didn't. I wasn't noticing the the green screen backgrounds like at all. So I'm curious what you guys thought of that.
4: I don't. I don't think about it when I'm watching it, the green screen. Yeah, I, me neither. I, yeah. I mean, the cinematography is is, is great. Uh, of course. I mean, not to you know denigrate what cinematographers do, but if you've got something that's that inherently interesting to shoot, it it kind of had better be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying. Uh, and,
1: and also, the the pilot was was filmed by Walter Hill. Who I think does, he, you, know, you look at his filmography, he's done a lot of amazing stuff, um, like *The Warriors*, and I think he does a great job setting up the visual approach of the show. And although that first episode isn't an example, most of the episodes follow a day in Deadwood, and you sort of, and I, I, I just think the use of natural lighting and candlelight is uh, is really gorgeous, especially obviously mostly that happens towards the second half of most of the episodes, and you know so that results in a lot of the show being quite a bit visually darker than most TV is accustomed to being, and it's it's very distinctive.
3: Uh, we are we're actually kind of running out of time. I know we could talk for forever about this stuff, but we're already yeah. past the forty minute mark, so we should probably start wrapping up. Uh, I'm curious now for me the third season is the weakest. Of of the three, and there's no
2: question there.
3: I take some digressions that don't. I don't think that don't they don't quite work, and uh, and I think as much as like any Deadwood is good, it's all excellent television. But I'm curious what you guys think about that, and if you think that would have been changed, like in, if there was a season four, do you think some of those would have paid off, or do you think it was more Milch sort of exploring his world?
2: Uh, I think it's both. I think there's no question that there was a lot of setup being done in season three that would have paid off in season four. Um, but then but, you've also got the Earp brothers. Right. Yeah, one of my <laughs> and least Odell. Uh, enjoyed yeah. subplots. Um, but also, yeah, like, uh, like Simon said at the beginning, uh, Milch is a guy who is willing to go down blind alleys, and that's part of what makes the show amazing but it also um, sometimes doesn't work out but uh, I think it's worth it and I think yeah and like I said if there had been a fourth se- season I think a lot of it would have made more sense
4: I I I, I agree <laughs> the second season is my favorite
3: yeah what do you guys think about that I, I, I think I'd go second though they were close first and second were closer in my estimation this most recent time through uh, Simon what do you think about that
1: yeah, I think I, if I if if you put a gun to my head, I would say second season. First and second season are very close, my estimation. The thing about the third season, which I actually, ironically, was the, sh- was the one that I ended up paying the closest uh, attention to because it was the one that I did the most watching at home of uh, this time around. You know, I, I can't really speak too much ill of it. I think, like I said, every season has its little digressions that aren't, you know, the most interesting. But there's still, I mean, even at its, quote, worst, it's still insanely quotable i would argue that there's no 10 minute segment of deadwood that is useless (laughs) like yeah there 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 might be a you know a a scene here and there that get this kind of or you don't really get the point of or you know we don't really get to see the full scope of because of the show's you know cancellation but there's always something quotable or memorable or distinctive around the corner
2: well probably the most hated subplot of all is the the theater troupe uh, but even there, Jack Langreish is a fantastic character, uh, and Brian Cox is uh, really excellent. And his his relationship with Al is one of the highlights of of season three, I think. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, even even within the uh, the so called horrible subplots, which I've heard that theater stuff <laughs> referred to as, uh, they're still awesome stuff.
4: And I think unlike the Erb Brothers thing, that theater thing would have still been a large part of season four and might have yeah that was
2: a big a big thought in my mind when i made the point that it would have paid off Mm. season four yeah
3: and the other thing about season three that i really appreciated is that's when we first get any sort of information about uh what's going on with the with the horrors at at particularly the gem in the first two seasons like Trixie gets stuff to do a couple of you know a couple of people will get something to do but you're never in the room with them without the doc or without somebody else whereas in season 3 you get a little bit more of their perspective when they're having a town meeting and everybody in who's prominent in town is there except Mrs. Garrett and you know they have they have a bit to say about that which and they, you know which is interesting and we just get a little bit more from their perspective and that's it, it, while there are excellent, well-written, developed characters, uh, both women and men, um, we get a lot more of the random pro- uh, prospector's point of view than we do the the random prostitutes. And I think that's one of the, the strong things about about uh, season three, al- along with Blazanov and Shaughnessy, who are just fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, uh, to, to wrap up, let's go around the horn once more and go with... Um, any favorite moments or episodes, or any final thoughts that that you guys have?
4: Um, okay. Uh, I, I I remembered from talking about Buffy that you were going to ask me about favorite favorite episodes, um, <laughs> so I actually thought about it beforehand this time. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of tempted to just go uh, go with the three season premieres because Deadwood, A Lie Agreed Upon, parts one and two, and Tell Your Gods Ready for Blood which, by the way, the latter is the best television episode title of all time, um, uh, are all fantastic. They really knew how to start a season off well. But I want to, uh, to go sort of full circle, come back to a thing I was talking about at the at the beginning, the way that, you know, dis- despite the things that make it unique, it is sort of a standard, um, uh, you know, not standard, but it, it shows what television can be. Um, and a, a thing that is... That you see throughout a lot of television, including my favorite show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is the way that people who aren't, you know, blood relatives come together, you know, through situations and and form familial type bonds. And so uh, I kind of want to talk about, and I also said season two is my favorite, I want to talk about two episodes, back-to-back episodes I would consider probably my favorites, um, which is um, uh, Amalgamation and Capital, and then what really is the star for me is advances non-miraculous. Because uh, I only include the first one. The first one is is really good. Um, it's got a lot of a lot of great stuff. Um, uh, particularly with the owner of the... Um, uh, what's his name? The guy who gets the bike. Uh, uh, oh, uh,
3: Tom? I
4: want to say Tom. What, what is his name? Tom Nuttall, yeah. Tom Tom, Tom Yeah, yeah. Um, but you kind of need that in what happens at the end of Amalgamation and Capital to go into advances non-miraculous which is um it's such a beautiful episode without ever being corny about the way that these people who have been you know rooting around in the mud and killing people and all these things for you know over a season and a half at this point the town comes together in the face of uh, what's happened to to Bullock's I guess stepson I guess is what you would uh call him um uh that that to me the Milch is able to pull that off um speaks to his own skills but also to his philosophies we were talking about the, his humanism uh and also his just uh uh respect for the form of television which is uh, a, a big thing for for me and his yeah, apparent speak, is speaking like
2: of, of children <laughs> <laughs> yeah but speaking of the town coming together uh a couple of my favorites are boy the earth to which is uh the season two finale mm-hmm. which is, has a uh, the wedding, which is uh, another big event in yeah. town, and then also a season three episode amateur night, which <laughs> is where uh the theater troupe uh, holds the amateur night and there's a lot of uh people doing funny tricks and things. <laughs> I think uh Richardson juggles yeah mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah well, and that's the episode that ends with uh with Al singing sort of to himself and increase with increasing bravado, which is a uh, Nice, another nice ending. They know how to end an episode on this show, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. They really do. do.
4: Um,
3: Simon, any thoughts? Uh,
1: I hover more, because to to me, in in a strange way, Deadwood to me is one long episode of television, just because the quality is so consistent. So I I, I think more about moments than episodes. Uh, My textbook favorite Deadwood moment is in season two, long after Bill Hickok is dead, uh, i believe it's francis wolcott who gets a hold of his final letter and he reads it out and it's it's and, and it it's it takes the form of um voiceover narration and it's Hickok's real last letter and it's a thing oh. of, and it's and it's really beautiful and it's being read by this vicious awful character and it's uh, it it's it's really something uh actually since you mentioned the wedding uh, that also comes with one of the series more, uh, one of the stranger uses of voiceover that I think really works, which is Alma Garrett talking to her dead husband um, about hmm. her forthcoming nuptials—a guy she really didn't even like very much—and uh, yet <laughs> yeah. there's there's still something kind of kind of sweet about it. It's those it's those strange little endearing moments that that make me think of Deadwood often.
3: Well, and that, that moment in particular was an interesting one, because th- that's another thing about the series. If you're interested in the production element, they had a very unusual scripting process for Deadwood, which was pretty much you'd get pages the day of and five minutes to learn them before you started shooting, because of how Milch writes. But they in the writer's room, they're trying to figure out a way, because they needed the audience to hear Alma explain why she was going to marry Ellsworth. And they kept trying to think of anyone that they could have her talk to and nobody fit. And they're like, oh, wait a second, we can have her talk to herself, but she wouldn't talk to herself, unlike so Al. she can talk to Brom. She can talk to her dead husband, because she would do that. And and it's such an elegant solution, and I do think it's, you know, another excellent moment. So few shows do voiceover narration right. So when somebody, when a show does it correctly, it's you can forget how effective it can be. But, yeah, those are two, two great uh, moments. Uh, for me, if I'm going to go with episode, I would probably also go with Boy the Earth Talks to the season two finale. I also really, really love A um, Lie Agreed Upon, the two-part season two mm-hmm. premiere as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I just think they they do such a great job. And also the season one finale as well, which I can't remember the title to. They do such a good job of juxtaposing like in the season um one finale they're juxtaposing the death of the reverend with um the the couple getting together in the season 2 finale it's it's the wedding with the violence in the chinese camp and woo's transition to from the old his old life to his new life sort of and his embracing of his new this new world i just think it's it's so well handled and the other th- thing i would want to mention is that this is the show that does, I don't know the word, winsome looks? Right. (laughs) That's something that you read about, like, again, Jane Austen or these other, you know, so many romantic comedies or dramas or whatever try to do that longing look or whatever correctly, and nobody ever captures it. And it's so, there's a bunch of them in this series, really, at various points, particularly in the first two seasons. And... The performances are all so subtle and still that it just sort of breaks your heart in a moment, and you absolutely—it's just so simple. These these looks that we get from the characters that say so much, and so I wanted to make sure to mention that just because it's so rarely done well.
1: Yeah, so. you, you've you've got a lot of unspoken affection. Probably my favorite of of which is is uh, of utter for Joni,
3: mm-hmm. which
1: never really surfaces in a meaningful way. But it's, it's always there, and it's, uh, it's really something.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. We are unfortunately out of time. I know we would all love to talk about the show for longer, mm-hmm. but where can our listeners find you on the, online? For those who haven't heard your you know previous appearances on the show.
2: Uh, we are at previouslyonshow.com. dot uh, The email is previouslyonshow at gmail and we have a Twitter that is occasionally updated <laughs> uh, at previouslyonshow uh, without the W.
4: And as uh, of course, uh, you know, episodes weekly. In you know, you can subscribe in iTunes uh, as well. Yeah, and uh, we just
2: put out an episode about our favorite uh, our favorite pilot ser- series favorite, premieres. Series premieres, yeah. Which maybe a certain show we've been talking about came up.
3: Maybe just possibly.
2: (laughs) It's possible.
1: You know, to listen to. Yeah, Deadwood has like has Deadwood has like a perfect pilot.
3: Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. it's pretty. And then of course, David, you are at the pretension and.
4: Yeah. Yeah. My other podcast is Battleship Pretension. It's a weekly movie discussion podcast it's at the BattleshipPretension.com. And there's also uh, weekly like reviews of theatrical releases and DVD and Blu-ray releases. And that's, uh, yeah, David at BattleshipPretension.com or Twitter.com slash Pretension.
3: Yeah. So and anyone who's listening, if you like our show, you're going to like their show. And you should check it out because it's great. So thank you guys so much for coming on. All
2: right. Thanks. Thank you.
3: And we will talk to you guys later. Have, have a nice week.